Good morning. It is good to be back here. <clears throat> I told the Sunday school class that I feel like a circuit rider about once a year coming to visit Owensboro, and it's beautiful. I love uh, the relationships that God is putting together. I'm sorry that Brian had to be here last week, but uh, I prayed for you. I fasted for you. Um, no, he's a dear brother and my best friend. So um, we're looking at Revelation chapter 21 this morning. Going to read verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> Do y'all stand during the reading or not? Okay, please stay seated then. Um, hear God's word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are so grateful that You have called us to be Your children. And that in Christ, fear is cast out. Lord, He is the object of our affection. He is the object of our faith. And through Christ, we are, we are Yours. We praise You for that today. Thank You for giving us Your Word and continuing to speak to us. We pray that You would open our ears and our eyes, that we may hear, that we may see, that we may taste that the Lord is good. Teach us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If I've taught this before at this church, I apologize. But I don't think I have. But I have started making notes when I preach a sermon somewhere. And the fact that I wrote it about a month ago, I probably couldn't have. But about a year ago, I did spend a lot of time studying the resurrection in heaven. So if any of this is you remember, then you have a great memory. 
Um, it is good to be here. When I was uh, a child, I used to watch a TV show that you can now catch in reruns. As a matter of fact, I bought the first season disc for my children a couple years ago. It's called Little House on the Prairie. Anybody a fan? Okay, you can admit it. Um, if you watch Little House, especially if you you know watch one a week or whatever, you kind of watch them consecutively, you begin to see that there's this, this theme that goes through the Little House episodes. And basically, it's everything starts really good, then there's some big catastrophe or big issue that comes up, and Pa comes to the rescue. It's no coincidence that Pa actually wrote and directed the shows, too, so he's always the hero, but... One of my favorites is when, when they just get there and they're trying to pioneer the land and Pa is working to the bone. I mean, he's working all hours. As a matter of fact, he's working on Sundays. And you know Ma, she is very, she doesn't like that, but she's so nice and so quiet, she, she'll barely say a word. But she lets him know, I don't want you working on Sunday. So he picks up a, a second job. And he's, he, he begins working the second job. Well, finally, because he's starting to do okay, he says, okay, I'm going to take this Sunday off, and we're going to picnic. And so they go, and they're on this beautiful hill. I mean, it's just like you would think, green pastures. And, and they're picnicking, and the girls are having a great time, and everybody's smiling, and they're all happy. And, and then they decide to break out the kite. And you can hear the music kind of change as they're flying the kite. And the kite ends up in a tree. And then the music starts to go a little more into a minor key. And Pa, of course, is the hero. And he decides he's going to climb the tree and get the kite. And that's when you know that everything is not okay. Something bad is about to happen. You can predict it. Pa climbs a tree, gets out on a limb, he reaches for the kite, and guess what? Bap! He falls. Breaks two ribs. Now, he can't plow his field, and he can't work the other job. Things are going bad. I give you that silly story, because in many ways, Little House has two views of life. Everything is going to be great, and something bad is going to happen. And that's sort of where we are. I'd like to start this morning by asking you, where are you at on that scale? Are you an optimist? Are you a pessimist? Or are you both? Are you a poo? Or are you an Eeyore? Do you live if everything's just always okay, or do you live as if something bad is always going to happen? See, an optimist assumes everything is going well and will go well, but that's not necessarily based on truth. The optimist says we're going on vacation and everything's going to go great, but the optimist doesn't know a tornado might come through. But a pessimist always assumes that everything will go poorly. And they have, it takes too much energy to dream otherwise. 
And what you see in the book of Revelation, and what you see particularly when it begins to talk about heaven, is that heaven fills the present with hope. With hope. And as a friend of mine says, not hype. Heaven gives us biblical hope, a guaranteed future that is already bleeding into the present. It's so certain that at the beginning of this section on heaven and at the end, the Bible says it is true. Write this down. You can bank on it. You can take it to the bank. It's true. Let me ask you, Do you need hope? The reason I did a four-week series on heaven this summer at our church to give Brian a break was my wife and I were laying in bed one night and it had just been a hard few weeks. And you felt rejection from everybody. We're there to plant a church. We're here for the kingdom. And nothing was going well. And it is so easy to go, Jesus is not on His throne. Why is this going like this? And my wife, who who I consider a pretty cheerful person, said, sometimes I wonder why we live. So I jumped out of bed and wrote four sermons on heaven. No, I didn't. But it did begin to say, we need hope. We need to know what's true. We need to know what God is doing. And we need, to, we need to know what's in store and how that changes the present. So that's what I want to look at today, basically under two headings. What is in store for the believers? What is God preparing for the saints? And the interesting thing is, when you look at heaven, there's very little about what heaven will be like. There's a lot about what the church will be like in heaven. But what we do have, we will try to look at this morning. What is in store? What will heaven be like? The first thing that you see in this passage about heaven is that everything will be new. New. We love new things. New cars for clunkers. New wardrobes. New looks, new houses, new... We love that sense, even though we know the smell of the new car will dissipate, but we'll go get the little thing that hangs in the car to pretend like the car still smells new. Why? Because we are built for it. A couple years ago, um, my wife and I were talking, and I had basically dressed the same, had the same haircut for about 10 years. And I told her, I said, you know, I'm thinking about doing my hair differently. And there was a pause. She said, that would be okay. So what's wrong? I I can tell you're thinking something. She said, well, to be honest with you, you kind of need a total makeover. So I took $60 and went to TJ Maxx and just bought a whole new wardrobe. You can get a lot for $60 at TJ Maxx. Listen to what it says about this makeover, this newness. Look at verse 1. He calls it a new 
heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Look at verse 4. The old order of things has passed away. Look at verse 5. I am making everything new. The sense of newness. As one of my friends says that what you see in the newness of heaven is you see a land of no mores. There will be no more sea. Does that mean there will be no more ocean, no more beaches? No, sea in the Bible is anything that is opposed to the kingdom of God. Where do the bad guys go after they were chasing Moses? Into the Red Sea. Okay, It was not a place you wanted to go. It's anything that opposes the kingdom of God and it will be gone. Do you see that? Anything that opposes the kingdom of God will be no more. Verse 4, there will be no more death. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more loss, no more heart surgeries, no more separation, no more regret. How many of you live with regret? Things you have done to hurt someone. Things that have been done to you. No more injustice. No more suffering. No more. Imagine if you and your spouse had a humongous fight. And it was one of those things you just couldn't get past. And someone walked in with a magic wand and said, that order of things has passed away. Gone. And then something just magically happened and you were able to forgive and not think about it, not even remember it, and just back to a beautiful relationship. Don't you long for the day that the old order will pass away. You know, the first action that is said of God in heaven is in verse 4. What's the first thing it says that God's going to do? He will wipe away every tear. God is a tear-wiping God. I used to have these dreams with my children that when they cried, I'd just be that great dad. And that worked for a few years. And then they cry so much, you're like, I just can't have the emotional energy. God is a tear-wiping God. It literally says in the Greek that not, it's not like He's going to wipe it from our cheeks. But He's going to get in there behind the eye and wipe it out. Why? He's going to the source of the tear. Even the thing that caused you to weep will be gone will be gone. I actually have bad tear ducts. I have to take medicine so that I can weep more. But you know, this we live with suffering in every form and fashion. I've told you about my children before. I have twins and 
One of them is very athletic, very smart, very loved, and, and appreciated and liked. She is invited to birthday parties every two weeks. But her twin brother had a brain injury when he was six. He's now 13. He's, he speaks with a speech impediment. He asked me last night at 9 o'clock if we were going to go cut down that tree of our neighbors that I would talked to him about cutting down. I said, tonight? He said, well, you said we were going to do it this evening. Okay? Yes, Wayne, I do cut down trees too. Wayne was perplexed. My son gets about one birthday invitation a year because he's weak. He's not cool. It's written all over his face. I think about it every day. That will be gone. He will be absolutely respected, honored, loved, appreciated. And when that begins to bleed into the present, it changes the church and it makes the church a welcoming, inviting body where the weak can find rest. Imagine if our youth groups looked like that. Where other youth in the community realized they could throw away the old order. It's gone. Heaven will be new. The second thing about heaven, there will be cosmic redemption. It will be new and it will be cosmic redemption. Look again at verse 1. He, did, he doesn't say, I just saw a new heaven. But what does he say? I saw a new heaven and a new earth. In other words, it's the cool Hebrew thing we learned in seminary called a mirrorism. M-E-R-I-S-M. It's all-inclusive. It's alpha, omega, heaven and earth. And in other words, everything will be new. Everything will will be redeemed. God's plans are to redeem the entire universe, the entire cosmos. Now think about this for a second. When when someone asks you, or just ask yourself right now, why did Jesus die? What is the normal answer? Well, Jesus died so that my sins can be forgiven. Meh. Wrong answer. Your forgiveness of sins is an absolute beautiful part of what Jesus died for. Do you realize that Jesus died to redeem an entire universe? That the effects of what He did have far more reaching implications. Thankfully, some of those are that this sinner can be in His kingdom. But they're far greater than that far greater. Think about this. Psalm 37, it says that the meek will inherit the what? The land. Remember that little Israel thing? Jesus says, no, 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 no. The meek will inherit the earth. Genesis 17, land is promised. The promised land. But in Romans, Paul says the exact same verse that we will inherit the world. I will get to go to Sweden. Somehow. 
where you deer hunt will be there, but just redeemed. You think he's crazy. What is he talking about? Look at 2 Peter 3. Look at Hebrews 1. It talks not about earth replacement, but earth restoration and extreme earth makeover. That's why if you watch Extreme Home Makeover, you get so excited and you start crying when they say move the bus because you saw this old dilapidated, nasty house and they moved the bus and it's been cosmically redeemed. My children ask me, Dad, do Christians make this show? And I said, you would think they did because they get something that's in the Bible. The gospel is bigger even than Jesus dying for our sins, though that is a big part of it. What will heaven be like? It will be earthy. Matter of fact, that's a little teaser for what we're talking about after lunch, is what will your body be like? What will you be like in heaven? We're going to look at that uh, in 1 Corinthians 15. What will we be doing? If that's true, what will, we be, what will we be doing? Look at verse 24 and 26. I won't spend a lot of time here. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into the city. On no day will its gates ever be shut. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. What is he saying? He's saying the same thing that Revelation 7 is saying where it pictures this vast multitude waving palm branches. Here's the point. If we're going to wave palm branches 24-7 in heaven, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not excited about it. But what is he saying? He's saying that in heaven, all of your life will be worship. Everything that you do... That's why he says the nations, the kings of the earth, will bring their splendor to God. Who are the kings of the earth? You are. You are. That may sound foreign. Peter calls us a kingdom of priests. In God's eyes, the church, you are royalty. Okay, Fritz, you're excited about this, but what does that mean? What's that have to do with now? What that means is this. Every aspect of your life is absolutely significant. If another person comes to me and says, you're doing God's work, I'm so thankful. I'm going to look at them and go, you're doing God's work. I'm sorry, am I mean? I know I'm mean, I'm sorry. You're doing God's work. Paul says that because this is true, everything that you do right now is unto God's glory. Matter matters. Your life matters. Your vocation is ministry. It is ministry to God first and foremost. Everything that you do is unto God's glory. Do it with the might of your hand. Imagine if the church really believe that. How it would change the community. And what would be said of Christians? 
I used to deer hunt. I may I hope I haven't told y'all this story, but in this little county is the best county in Tennessee. You never saw deer there, oddly enough. But statistically it was the best deer hunting county in Tennessee. And one night my buddy and I decided we weren't gonna camp out because it was so cold. We were gonna get a hotel room at the Good Enough Inn. One of those little highway, little, you know, row of motel. As we started to talk to the owners, because there was really nothing else to do in this little town, and we sat around talking to the owners, they told us the story of the Good Enough Inn. It used to be a hotel that housed prostitutes from somewhere in Asia, I don't remember. And this, this couple in Florida always dreamed of owning a little motel, and so they saw it on the internet that it was for sale, understood what it was for, came, shut it down as it was, basically went and redid everything, repainted, gutted it, threw the old mattresses and beds out, put in new ones, and put up a sign called the Good Enough Inn. I got chill bones going, that's Christian, that's redemptive, that's beautiful, that's what God does. Isn't that what God has done in your life and continues to do? This process of renovation, of putting to death the old, bringing to life righteousness, It's God's doing. That's why it comes out of heaven, from God, prepared by God, from the throne. He is making, He is doing this. And if heaven is in God's hand, if God is big enough to handle this, is He not big enough to handle you? If you're not a Christian, if you are standing on the outside looking in, maybe one of the reasons is because you, you have su- such convoluted images of God and the church and Jesus that you're so confused and we are thankful that you're here. We would ask you to reconsider who this God really is and what He is really like. Who can come? Who, who can have this Verse 6 says this, Anyone who is thirsty. Christianity is the only religion that doesn't exclude based on need. Christianity says the only thing you bring to the table is your thirst. And if you're a Christian, I would encourage you to remember that that is not in the past tense. Maybe God is causing that tension between you and your spouse to remind you that you're thirsty or that issue with your neighbor or at work to remind you you're thirsty. You don't pay for it. You don't earn it. Verse 7 calls it a gift, an inheritance. And it's not that you overcome it like i got to just overcome it. It's those who God preserves, those who make it, 
they have full rights to be called the children of God. In verse 8, he does give a sober warning that if you persist, if you persist in sin, you will burn. Oh no, there's that Christian stuff again. You know what? When you persist in sin, say in an argument, and you just got to be away and get away and be isolated, what do you do? You burn. You burn in anger. You suffer selfishly. That's a small flavor of what hell is. C.S. Lewis says it's sitting at the table with your hands locked, and you don't want to serve anybody, you don't want to share the food, you just want it all for yourself. And he says, you're going to get it. That's what you want. It burns, it hurts, it stinks. Who would want that? Notice that the first category of people that don't make it into the kingdom isn't the sexually immoral, it isn't the murderers, it's the cowardly. Isn't that interesting? What is it that keeps a minister from growing in grace? His pride and his fear of being known. His fear of being known. His fear of being honest about his sin. What keeps us from the kingdom? Cowardice. We're afraid to say what's true. We're afraid to say we're thirsty. I'm going to end on a good note. That's a warning. The overall picture here, though, is invitation. If you are thirsty, come. And you will be ushered into a kingdom that's not only in the future, but that Jesus is bringing right now, that gives you a life of real, living hope. My youngest daughter, one time, we were sitting around the table and we had just finished a birthday party and the night before was our weekly pizza night and movie night. She said, you know, this was great, but we don't have anything to look forward to. We had pizza and movie night, we just had a birthday and we don't have another birthday for like two months and it's going to be a whole week for, for pizza night. I just So you live your life based on pizza night, looking forward to it. There is a sense in which we can live our life based on looking forward to what God is going to do. But do you realize that's what God's doing now? As He's bleeding this into the church, as He's bringing this about in our lives as He's breaking down the walls of our works and our religion and saying, come to Christ. You'll be made new.
Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank You for this invitation, a continual invitation to come. For we are thirsty. Lord, we, even as we come to the table this morning, we are even more than reminded that it's not about what we do. It's not about how good we are. It's not about how much we know or understand. It's about the work of Jesus out of a big heart of love for His people to give Himself that we may become children of God. So we pray that He would meet us now even as we come to His table, a table of grace, a table where the thirsty are invited. We ask this in His name. Amen.